Let's pray. Heavenly Father, ruler of all, creator, sustainer of life, the Almighty One, the Great I Am, God, we give you all the glory and honor and praise this morning. We are just so grateful for your mercy and grace towards us, your work in our lives, God, your continual leading, and God, your will being done in our lives. Father, help us to hold fast to you, the head, from whom your whole body, the church, is nourished and knit together. Father, help us to seek the things that are above, to guard our hearts and minds, to align our will with yours this morning. Father, help us to set our minds to love you with all our hearts, with everything in us. Lord, we pray that you would cause us as members of your church to be joined together, as members of Christ's body to collectively serve Christ, to serve you, and then to strengthen and encourage one another. Father, we thank you for your peace, that profound well-being that comes from resting in your sovereignty and your mercy in the middle of the storms and the trouble that we all face. Lord, we ask that you would give us each understanding this morning. As your word is preached, Lord, we ask that you give us ears to hear and that we'd be changed, O oh God, this morning. Amen. So we are continuing in Mark this morning, Mark 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also he gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. God, again, would you incline our hearts and open our eyes, increase our understanding of who you are and what your word says today. Amen. Thank you, Brenda. Someday I will read as well as you do. <laughs> Thank you all for letting me practice in front of you. God is good. 
God is good. Uh, we are in Mark. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark. And so this story of two, two Sabbath stories uh, require us to actually go to Deuteronomy. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 15 to 20. See, I have said before you today, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command to you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But... If your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. So today we are concluding the five confrontations grouped together in the beginning of Mark. These are confrontations between the Pharisees and Jesus. Up till now, the religious leaders that oppose Jesus have complained in the first story that he claimed to be God by forgiving the sins of the paralyzed man. Next, they complained that he ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. Next, they complained that he did not observe their religious traditions by fasting at their appointed times. And finally, as we've heard Brenda read today, they complained about his disregard for their Sabbath standards in the two final stories in this section. And I want you to leave here today knowing that while these last two stories center around the Sabbath keeping, this is really about life and death. The answer at the end of the test today, all of this is about life and death. So Mark 2, verses 23 and 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So it's a sunny day. You can picture it in your minds. It's always sunny in Galilee. People are walking from one town to another, and Jesus and his men are passing through the fields. One of them grabs grabs a handful of grain, rubs it in his hands to remove the hulls and reveal the berries, and others do the same. If you look at the text again, it doesn't even say that they are eating their efforts. And it really doesn't matter whether they're hungry and doing this for food or whether they're just playing with the grain as something to fiddle with. But the Pharisees pounce. What you are doing is unlawful. Why? The Sabbath is culturally unique to the Jews. It's part of what distinguishes them in this time. It defines them. 
It's rooted in creation. God rested on the seventh day. And right after the exodus of Israel from Egypt, God gave his people ten commandments to live by. And the longest one on the list was to honor the Sabbath. Exodus 28 to 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is a great commandment. Do not work on the seventh day. But the question upon the people was, what constituted work? There is a question about how to obey this law. The Ten Commandments are simple enough, but after bringing them to his people, Moses then spends much of his time judging how they are to be applied. And the Old Testament has some 613 laws that ferret out how God's commands are to be kept in real time. If we fast forward to Jesus' day, the rabbis had taken this task to the highest level and added their own interpretations to the law. Specific to our story, the rabbis and scholars had established 39 acts that were prohibited on the Sabbath. Not the least of these were you could not walk more than 1,999 steps because more than that would be travel, which is forbidden. You could not take anything from one place to another because that would be toil. That would be labor, and you can't do that. And you cannot harvest crops because, again, that would be work, and you should not do that on the Sabbath. Uh, There is a caveat, though. You could rescue an animal or a person in mortal danger or assist someone in childbirth because presumably those things just can't wait till sundown. In trying to figure out how best to honor God by keeping the commandments, the Jewish people became very nuanced and detail-focused. And this is why my refrigerator at home has a Sabbath button and it keeps the lights off on Saturday because turning lights on could be considered work. And this is real. Another one, modern Jewish neighborhoods around the world have been or are encircled by miles of clear wire making an eruv. This creates an enclosed space separating the domestic space from the public space. And then it allows uh, them to carry things like keys and wallets Uh, and push strollers outside the home, yet within the Eruv's domestic boundaries. As an example, uh, the Manhattan Eruv is about 18 miles long. That's the circle that that is enclosed in this space. Another one would be uh, why the observant Jew would never use the Lord's name Yahweh at all, whatsoever, uh, in case... They would actually uh, use it in vain by accident. Now, these practices are known as putting fences around the law so that in making a law further back from the biblical law, 
one is much further back from breaking the actual command. No doubt some of us need fences around pits and guardrails uh, atop Grand Canyons, lest we would lean too far over to our detriment. But today's stories show that when man-made rules are presented and promoted as God's law, and given the same authority as his word, God is not pleased, and he finds offense with this legalism. Mark chapter 7, verse 9 says, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own traditions. This verse shows that it was not just legalism that Jesus railed at in the Pharisees. It was that they chose to obey their laws while ignoring those of the Lord. It's a double infraction. So again, verse 24, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The question then is, whose law? We know that Jesus never broke God's law. He was sinless. So clearly this was their fence that he had broken. So Jesus proceeds to give a gentle explanation of things. He cites a story that they would know well and respect. So for this, we need to go back to the friendship of David and Jonathan. Uh, Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? So at this point, we're talking well Old Testament, right? Saul is king, but he has sinned and grieved God so much that God has decided to anoint a new king in young David. But he does not give him the throne quite yet. In the meantime, lots happens. David kills Goliath. He becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. He marries Saul's daughter, Michal. And more and more, David becomes the lightning rod for Saul's rage. You might remember that at his worst, Saul tries to kill David. And David flees and makes a deal with Jonathan to warn him if it's not safe to go back. So, of course, it's not safe to go back. And Jonathan shoots well past him, and that indicates that it's not safe. David and Jonathan have a tearful goodbye, and then David flees the kingdom with just the clothes on his back. And on his way out, he stops by the tabernacle, and he asks for some food. And Ahimelech gives him some holy bread, which is only meant for the priests. Verse 26, now he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave it also to those who were with him. So did David sin or did the priest? Well, yes, a law was broken, but only because a greater law was kept. And this is what we need to see here. David and his companions were in deep need, And thus Jesus explains that it was okay that in this situation he ate the holy bread. The preserving of life and the doing of good was more important than the eating or not eating of the sacred bread. And in this case, if it isn't clear enough, Jesus goes on to simplify the act of interpretation that much more. Verse 27, he says, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And that's a paradigm shift. 
Jesus doesn't just clarify matters, but he teaches with authority. The Sabbath law, in fact, all laws were made to help humanity and not to burden them, to lift them up and not to crush them down. He's telling the Pharisees that all their systems and constructs to prevent infractions are wrong. Instead, the intent, God's intent of the law is grace and goodness. They're to look at the spirit of the law. There's an old story, you've probably heard it if you've been to church for a while in your life, that a king who had a castle on top of a big mountain was looking for a royal charioteer. And to get to this castle, there was a wide road that went all the way around the mountain, and on the edge of that road was a deep, sharp cliff. So you get the picture. He's asking for a royal charioteer, and he calls people from around his kingdom, and he says, I want to know how close to the edge you can tell me you will, you will ride the chariot. And the first fellow says, well, I can get a yard away from the edge. And the king says, oh, okay. And the next guy says, well, I can get one foot away from the edge. And the next guy says, well, I can leave three inches from the edge, and I will make it all the way up to the castle and back. But the last guy says, well, actually, king, I try to stay away from the edge as much as I can, so I like to be meters away or yards away. And the king gives him the job. The whole idea is that we're not supposed to be that close to the edge. Why would you, why would you tempt fate? We don't need fences to keep us from leaning over the pit. What we need is God's grace to keep us from even desiring to be that close. Will you do it yourself, or will you depend upon God? Furthermore, Jesus says, point blank, just so you know, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this reveals the crux of the issue between Jesus and the Pharisees. One theologian put it this way, the clash with authority was not over the rules, but over who rules. I'll say it again, because it's good, it's not mine. The clash with authority was not over the rules, but over who rules. Only God is the Lord of the Sabbath. And here Jesus is claiming his equality with God. It's just like in the paralytic story, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and take your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Because Jesus was sent by God and obeys God, because Jesus does no works, sorry, does the works of God with the power of God and the authority of God, there is no question that Jesus Christ is God. Next story. Again, He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. It's the Sabbath. They're watching. So Jesus this time takes the initiative. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life 
or to kill. But they were silent. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you've taken the commandments, you've parsed them down into fractions, but you've missed the forest for the trees. You've missed the grace of God in the law, in providing you good boundaries. Now I will take it down to the very base for you. Answer me this, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. This was their chance for redemption, but they were silent. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now, many commentaries focus on the fact that by the Pharisees' own definition, Jesus did no toil here. He just spoke healing. But I think the greater lesson here points back to creation. God made everything new by speaking. And here Jesus makes the man's hand new by speaking. Everybody knows that only God can create by the word of his mouth. And Jesus did as only God can do. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Hardness of heart does not mean the same thing to the original audience as our idiom does today. We hear hardness of heart, and we think callous or cold, unfeeling. But in the ancient world, the heart was the center of decision-making. The heart was the center of emotions and the moral compass. Therefore, Jesus' anger and his grief was over their lack of understanding, and in fact, their refusal to try to understand the will of God. Romans 1 says, sinners suppress the truth. And that's what's happening here. They are not wanting the truth. So much so that verse 6 says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Is it right to do good or to kill? The Pharisees chose death both in their self-reliance and rulemaking, but also in choosing this day, this Sabbath, to kill Jesus. They chose death. Matthew 23 has a big list of woes. Here's Jesus' rebuke. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across land and sea to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much the child of hell as yourselves. This is Jesus' only healing miracle that he initiates himself. All the others are by plea. But he does this to teach all who would listen about God's great desire for life and goodness. And it also shows up the Pharisees' true allegiance, ignoring the good, desiring the evil. 
these two stories show that while Jesus could break the Sabbath law because he is the maker, he does not because he's our example. This one's mine. I'll say it again, though. While Jesus could break the Sabbath law because he is the maker, he doesn't because he's our example. Mark is careful to show Jesus as obedient to the Father, fulfilling the law as as the true son of Israel. But Mark also shows that Jesus makes no attempt to follow the rules made by man. Let's look at Mark 7 once again today. Now some of the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your own traditions. Another woe from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean. We are to clean the inside. And this isn't about cups. This is about hearts. This is about our lives. For Samuel 16, says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The traditions and laws of the Pharisees were burdensome, They numbered in the hundreds, perhaps thousands. But when Jesus is asked about which law to follow, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus asks, if you follow these two laws, will you break any of the other ones? Paul makes this very same reduction of things in Romans 12, verses 8 to 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other command are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
The Christian is not bound to the law. Christ fulfilled it and set us free. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We are now bound to Christ. He's our Redeemer. And this is his law. According to Paul, it is the law of Christ, the law of love. Love then becomes our interpreter of law and of action. We don't need 613 plus rules and their endless interpretations. As Christians filled with the the Holy Spirit, God's very Spirit teaches us. It is our guide to show us how to apply the law of love to every facet of life. This makes obeying God a joy and a blessing instead of a burden and a heavy load. Love is the path of life. Paul says it does no wrong to a neighbor and that it fulfills the law. This is what Jesus was talking about when he asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save a life or to kill? Because God's heart is for his people to desire his desires, to depend upon him for choosing the good and in choosing life. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. John 13, 34 and 35 say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the new law of the Christian. This is in fact the whole law of the Christian. And this is the path away from legalism. 21 years ago today, the World Trade Center towers one and two were struck by hijacked airplanes. And they collapsed in one of the most graphic demonstrations of violence ever televised. I was working at my church in Edmonton at the time. My senior pastor and I hauled out a heavy old TV with rabbit ears. Some of you might not know what rabbit ears are. And we watched the the events unfold. You might have similar memories of that morning, sitting dumbfounded at the death and destruction in front of you. It's no stretch then for me to tell you that a few months later, my senior pastor had a vivid dream about two burning skyscrapers. But in it, he said that he saw himself donning a fireman's hat and coat, and along with other believers running in and out of the two burning towers, rescuing as many people as possible from the flames. Now, this is a dream I'm talking about. And the significance of this dream was that very clearly one tower was filled with people far from God. Sinners who were happy to stand in rebellion to the Lord. But the other tower was populated with churchgoers, people most happy to call themselves Christians, the sharp-dressed and the clean-cut, people that don't miss a sermon or an opportunity to serve, but people that were nonetheless legalists trying to earn salvation for themselves by doing all the right things right that they could think of. Now, this is just a dream. 
the symbol is clear. One tower filled with the lawless. I don't need rules or God. Another tower filled with legalists following the rules that will gain God's approval. Both were burning towers. And the allegory is simple. Christians, day after day, going into the flames of the world or the flames of the church to rescue either those that are running away from salvation or to rescue those that are doing everything they can towards saving themselves. This is our role as believers. We are to go into the, the flaming towers. Now, this is the gospel. Everyone starts out a rebel. Everyone rebels against God. Now, some people switch towers and try to do their very best to earn approval, to earn salvation. But the gospel says that's impossible. The good news is that Jesus has died on the cross, forgiven sins, made it possible to come to God. And our job then is to speak of this to others, to accept the grace of God. This day, choose life, and it can only be found in dependence upon God. Those who are independent of God out in the world are dying. Those, even in this church, who are following their own sets of Christian rules are dying too. Our mission is to don the cap and coat of being witnesses of God and to run in and out of the burning places of our work, schools, and churches to talk about God's faithfulness, the Holy Spirit's power and direction, and the saving grace of Christ. Choose this day life. Let's pray. Father, it is our desire to come to you, and that is a gift of God. Father, we want to worship you. We want to praise you. That is a gift. Father, we want to honor you. And in that, we need the blood of Christ to be able to do that. There is nothing we can do on our own. There is nothing even our best efforts can do to honor you. It is only through Christ's death and resurrection. Lord, we praise you for that, that you have sent Jesus and that he was obedient. Lord, let us take all that we know, the instructions of the Bible, your faithfulness, Christ's obedience, and live for you, die for you, bear witness of you. For you are good. Amen.